Esteban Ocon wins his first Grand Prix after a chaotic first lap, but Lewis Hamilton leaves Hungary with the title lead over Max Verstappen. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name is Michael Laminato and welcome to Round 11, the Hungarian Grand Prix. For Heeltrek.com, socks inspired by iconic cars. Use the code word STRATEGY for 10% off. For the second year in a row, rain disrupted the start of the Hungarian Grand Prix, but a first corner pile-up changed the complexion of the race. From the first corner to the eventual red flag restart, six cars were retired from the race. Crucially, Max Verstappen picked up heavy damage, and the erstwhile title leader couldn't play a part in the Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton restarted from pole, but it was on a grid of one. On the reconnaissance lap after the red flag, every driver bar him returned to the pits for slicks. He switched tyres at the end of the lap, dropping to the back of the grid. Esteban Ocon, who'd swept up to second in the carnage, inherited the lead, and he defended all race long against Sebastian Vettel beautifully to run out a maiden winner. Hamilton came close, but in a race highlight struggled to get past Ocon's Alpine teammate Fernando Alonso for fourth, ultimately finishing less than three seconds behind the leader at the flag. To wrap up a chaotic final race before a much-needed mid-season break, I'm joined by Julianne Serasoli in her 11th season covering Formula One. Julianne, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Michael. Thank you. I'm speaking from a very sunny Budapest <laughs> on a Monday morning. Can you believe it? And so it's nice to think at least that the rain did arrive in the race, not immediately afterwards for a change. So that's something to be thankful for. Yeah, especially for me. I mean, the formal in the media pen in the TV media pen. It's always our my, nightmare when you see rain coming before the race. We always think that it's going to come <laughs> when the interviews are happening. Actually, the skies looked horrible after the race, but it. it never rained again so it was the right amount because it was not like a a red flag because we cannot race or safety car or anything like that right amount Uh, i'm not sure if valtteri would agree with me or lance but for for us it was good fun yeah for everyone else it was the right amount i think for the, the spectator it was the right amount anyway Uh, We definitely got a a good conclusion to this first half of the season. After all of the things that have happened the last couple of months, we're separated by almost nothing in the Drivers' and the Constructors' Championship. In fact, we don't even know exactly because it is pending an appeal against a penalty awarded several hours after the Grand Prix to Sebastian Vettel. But taking a bit of a broader picture of this before we get into the detail of this race, what's your feeling in terms of the championship going into this break? We've got Hamilton and Mercedes ahead again, but not by much. How do you think this is going to start to pan out once we get to Belgium and beyond? Well, the funny thing is that if you asked me two weeks ago, I would have said, oh, uh, in Silverstone, it was Max's race to win. Mm -hmm. And he just lost because he was taken out by Hamilton and he's going to walk with this championship. But then Red Bull are really trying to lose it, it seems, (laughs) doesn't it? Because that appeal didn't help them. Nobody in the paddock really understands what the appeal was all about. Most of us, we think it's just because Max and yours, mainly yours, Verstappen, were really pushing for something to be done and they had to come up with something because to say, oh, Lewis should have uh, a break earlier, that's why he was penalized in the first place. So he was penalized mm-hmm. for that. So if you come out with proofs, with whatever proofs you have to say, exactly that how are you going to change the outcome because he has been penalized especially specifically for that some people asked yesterday asked me if 
uh, album is going to do uh, any testing, any demo testing in Hungary, <laughs> maybe to check his his line on the first corner again. <laughs> But Red Bull, they weren't in a good position for uh, the whole of this weekend. The car was just not working on, on the steering a lot. They didn't understand why, and they have to understand now if it was just track related. They basically took all of the the rear wing to try to balance the car, and they never they were never able to balance the car. We don't know in qualifying how much that cracked engine, which is lost, which is completely lost by Verstappen, if that uh, in any way uh, changed his qualifying. We don't know that, but it was a really bad weekend outside of the track, on the track. <laughs> Even so, without that rain, they would have been third and fourth, probably. So they would have been behind. Uh, but with the outcome, another car not destroyed, but not in, a, in a one piece <laughs> after, after that race. You have Perez with a, a, a broken engine as well. So... Oh my God, what a, a couple of weeks it's been for, for Red Bull. I think it can only get better from here. I don't know how many ladders they must have walked under to end up with two broken engines in a weekend, but they've got to move them at the Red Bull factory, put them somewhere else, put them away. Uh, let's talk about this just briefly before we, of course, talk about the man of the race, Esteban Ocon, a maiden Formula One winner. The, the difference between Red Bull and Mercedes was really interesting because this was expected to be... A little bit of a Red Bull track. It's it's more in the slow slower speed zone of the calendar, which tends to be the Red Bull uh, area of performance. We know they didn't do that well here last year. Similarly, they had kind of setup problems as well, didn't they? They couldn't figure out how to get that car to work. But on the other hand, we don't really know the balance of performance this season, do we? Because sort of like you said, only a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like Red Bull was going to walk it. You know, Mercedes brought upgrades to Silverstone. Do you... Is there reason to think that maybe some of the performance here at Mercedes, more than it just being Red Bull not getting things right this weekend, is that they have brought themselves back up level with these updates? Or was it a little bit of a false understanding after this weekend? Yeah, I think there are always two sides in Formula One. You have one team that is making its car better with the upgrades, but also with the setup work that they've been trying, the different routes in the setup work that they've been trying since Austria. And they have found their way with this car at the same time that Red Bull were completely lost this weekend. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so interesting. And wow, a lot of things have, uh, have happened already in this, uh, this season. And we, it's only 11 out of 23. <laughs> and we're not even halfway. So, so many things can happen. Yeah, it's incredible to think we've got more than half the year probably still to go. Only... I don't know, probably more than 10 years ago now, but we'd be almost done in seasons past, which is very strange to think. But look, it does mean we get more twists and turns in this story, presumably. Esteban Ocon was the twist of this race story, the winner of this Grand Prix. How he got there requires, I guess, a little bit of explanation because we wouldn't be talking about it otherwise. Really, the first part of this was that first lap. If there was one principal reason, it was that we had a bit of a pile-up on the first lap. Valtteri Bottas... Played the team game, I guess. Took out two Red Bull cars. <laughs> Is that enough to get him a, a, a renewed contract? Me, me. <laughs> I heard that in the paddock. Oh, now yeah. he has renewed his contract 100%. <laughs> With a bigger salary, even. 
<laughs> however much damage he caused to the Red Bulls, he'll get that in his salary for the next couple of seasons. Uh, that definitely kicked off this race. Of course, he took uh, ultimately that crash took out six cars. One of them was eventually Nikita Mazepin in a pit lane accident. But let's just call that neatly a lap one uh, situation. Esteban Ocon nailed it though. Got through up into second place. Would inherit first place for the first reason out of four, I think, that he ultimately won this Grand Prix. And that was the decision by Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton not to switch to slick tyres for the restart grid, uh, which is why some people may have seen pictures of a grid with only one car on it, Lewis Hamilton. We're used to seeing a couple of times a year, maybe. In fact, I think someone did the maths. It's once every eight races, something like that, that Lewis, that, that Mercedes makes a massive mistake, like a really obvious, huge error. Was this one of them, or are there reasons for Toto Wolff to have said that he 100% backed that decision and it was the correct one? The only explanation I would have is that they only had one car in the race, mm-hmm. and maybe they thought that... Teams that had two cars still, I think there were only three or, three or four teams that had uh, two cars, would split strategies. That's the only thing I can come up with. Other than that, it's a huge mistake. At that time, before the race started, there was a lot of talk in the paddock about a huge storm coming. It never came. Maybe they had that on the radar, but it's only one team who had that on the radar. So it's really, I'm trying my best. I always try to think, oh, they have much more information than we have. I, I hate saying, oh, it was a huge mistake, but that one is a bit difficult to defend. Yeah, it is, it is interesting to think, isn't it? Because, it, I mean, at that point, it was in many senses Hamilton's race to lose because he had the lead. His main title rival was way down the order. His car was half broken. Lots of reasons he should have won that race. But on the other hand, when you're leading a race and... I mean, he should have seen, obviously, that it was dry on the reconnaissance lap that it was. But it's easy to think, well, if you come in, no one else will come in and somehow that'll cost me. They also raised the idea that, of course, they were first in the pit lane. So with the field bunched up, he may have had to wait for a lot of cars to pass anyway and would have ended up somewhere near last. But it's interesting to think that no one else... Literally, no one else did it. And that's what... It's strange with Mercedes, isn't it? I don't like to to talk into that idea that they crack under pressure, but it is weird how it is often they're just complete outliers in these weird situations that crop up from time to time. Yes, it does happen. Now you're saying that, I'm thinking, after all that mess in the, the first uh, corner, you had Ocon, you had Vettel, you had Carlos... So all the main containers were out of the race or out of the picture. And it's only these teams who really had, had to try something different. You know, they, they could risk a little bit more. They were directly behind Lewis. Mm-hmm. So it is always easier for teams who have less to lose to make mm-hmm. that call. So maybe it comes into play. And it's always true for Mercedes. So Mercedes yeah. always have a lot to lose. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is absolutely true. It was interesting too, I thought, that in some respects, I mean, putting aside the first lap crash and the fact we got a, a pretty long, relatively long red flag, is that this was kind of exactly the same thing that happened last year. Not with Mercedes, but we had at the start of last year's Hungarian Grand Prix rain before the race, admittedly, not during the start. And then in time for the race start, it was clearly dry enough. Remember, the Haas drivers came in, they copped a penalty because they talked over radio, but they were ultimately right to come in for slicks. 
And we know that's because Hungary's really hot, right? Like, you're experiencing it right now. It's sunny in Budapest at the moment. The track dries really fast. I think what's most surprising, regardless of why they made the call or not, that it seemed like they hadn't really talked about what if it's already dry because it's so hot. And I think for me, that's the the more surprising part is that there wasn't the preparation for it rather than the wrong call itself. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the case because Lewis said I was telling them how the track was. Mm. Every corner would say dry, yeah. dry, dry. <laughs> and still they, they told him to, to stay out. Yeah, it's just one of those things. But that was the first reason that Esteban Ocon was able to win this race. The second was during that time where Lewis Hamilton wasn't pitting. The pit lane became kind of almost like part of the racetrack, even though the race technically wasn't even running at the time. The race hadn't been restarted yet. The way that the the grid spots were aligned and the way that the cars were, of course, changing tyres, some teams, as you mentioned, double stacking, meant that Nicholas Latifi ended up in, let's just call it third now, let's assume Hamilton's at the back, even though that hadn't happened yet, we knew it was going to happen eventually, wound up gaining two places, essentially, in the pit lane. I mean, that was important because he was a slower... Williams was a slower car. He ended up being like a cork in the bottle. But how is it that Nicholas Latifi managed to overtake cars before the race had technically started? So even before that, the drivers who started at 16th, 17th and 18th, so it's Sonoda, uh, George and Nicholas, they seem to be exactly in the the right spot and also Carlos Sainz, Mm -hmm. 15th. Sebastian Vettel started at 10th and he had a horrible start, so he was with those guys. <laughs> and they all came safe, so it was the best place to be. He was really lucky to do that. And Esteban Ocon, that is the best story of the race, I think. Somehow, he's good friends with Lanstro. He's the only guy <laughs> who is good friends with Lanstro. And they spoke just before the start, and Lance said to him, and Esteban said, Lance is so good in the rain, which is true. And he's such a good, strong starter. And he's always very good in the first lap. That's Esteban's words. <laughs> and I, I went to him and said, mate, this is our race. And he said, this is our time to shine. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> but what happened? <laughs> I said, Lance Stroll, he was avoiding Esteban. And then he went to the right. Mm-hmm. So, friendship does count in Formula One. And Hasselbaum was really lucky because he could have been he could have been in the position uh, Lando was with Valtteri, mm-hmm. but um, Lance pushed to the the right side, and then Leclerc ended up being on. I was trying to hide myself from the the rain, watching the the race uh, underneath a staircase. And then a Ferrari guy just passes right in front of me. That's Leclerc with his helmet on, like putting his hands like, I'm going to kill this guy. It was chaos, but it's interesting to, to think that it could have been Ocon there in the middle of the, the carnage. But it wasn't because his friend Lance Stroll pushed it right and, and missed him. But then you had all, all these guys who were in the, the safe zone from 15th to, to 18th. So they end, so it ended up being Hamilton, Ocon, saved by his friend, and these guys in the back. But then, as you mentioned, on the pit lane, if you travel further in the pit lane, uh, so the last teams of, of the pit lane, in a situation like this, you get 
you are help because you don't get held up. You do your stop and you come back before being held up. And that's how Carlos lost out to Tsunoda and to, uh, to Latifi. And that's how Latifi ended up in front. George tried <laughs> something else. He tried his own route. So we saw him coming out of the pits in second. But he tried to do, you know, when you go in on holiday and there's a lot of traffic and there's this line here, you think, oh, this lane, sorry. And you think, oh, maybe if I can overtake. And then when you try to go back to the road, the guys don't let you in because that's not valid. That's basically that's what happened with George. We've all been there. We all know what it's like. We can't blame him. What else are you going to do? Wait for everyone? You're not going to do that. It almost worked. Look, he got something out of it in the end, even if he had to give a certain number of positions back. So that's not so bad. But Nicholas Latifi, as we mentioned, obviously he ended up in a very good position, ended up in a podium place fundamentally at the beginning of the race. But this was in part really crucial to how the, the, the front-running battle played out because it meant that none of the potentially race-winning cars behind him could have a crack at Sebastian Vettel or Esteban Ocon in the lead because it is so hard to pass the Hungara ring. I know we saw some passing this weekend, so it seems funny to say, but as we'll see when we talk a little bit about Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton, even when you've got a tyre advantage and a car advantage, it's clearly not that easy to overtake. Mick Schumacher, another great example of that. Who'd have thought we'd be saying Schumacher and Alonso were highlights of a race in 2021, but... It's the, it's the year it is. Another Schumacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. That was the second reason. Nicholas Latifi giving them this great buffer. In fact, the buffer was up to 17 seconds by the time the, the first pit stops of some of the drivers, including Latifi, uh, rolled around, just to give you an understanding. It was almost like Mercedes and Red Bull ahead and everyone else behind them. It was that kind of effect. Then we had, of course... Aston Martin attempting the undercut. They had most of the cars out of their pit window by now because of Latifi, pretty much except Fernando Alonso, who'd managed to rise up and get in the way. But there was a genuine opportunity here for them, weren't they? Because Aston Martin felt they had the faster car. They probably did have the faster car. They were right on the back of Esteban Ocon, or Sebastian Vettel was for most of this race. But we see that in a situation where you really have only one racing pit stop, when it's slow... It costs you, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's definitely true that they had a, a faster car because you don't stay one second, 1.5 mm. around the Hungarian ring from the, the difference from the other car if you don't have a, a faster car. You just cannot follow this closely if, you, if you're not faster. What happened for most of the race is that Fernando, Fernando really, really, really helped <laughs> this win uh, because he was... Um, 20 seconds, uh, around 20 seconds behind Vettel. So, therefore, if uh, Aston Martin stopped Vettel, he would have come out fighting with Fernando or just behind Fernando and he would have been stuck there because Alpine were going to leave Fernando in the track. That's what was going to happen. So, that's why they had to wait until that cleared up. Uh, and when he cleared up, then they didn't have uh, a fast pit stop. And even with, with a slow pit stop, uh, Vettel nearly, nearly did it. Mm-hmm. And that really showed, I mean, Vettel's outlap was so strong. He knew that he had that opportunity there. And it's always great this year. We've seen it a couple of times, haven't we? What we might call the old Vettel. Well, the young Vettel, ironically enough, I guess. He's the old Vettel now. Uh, but it was one of those opportunities we were able to see that happen. I, I know it was really only about a second slower, the pit stop. We're talking about 3.3 to 2.3, thereabouts, seconds. So still a relatively good 
pit stop. Not in an elite league, I suppose. But it's something that struck me. We haven't seen Aston Martin in a really great position for most of this season, not like we saw them last year, for example. And the question came up a couple of times last year as well, and I guess because they didn't back it up in 2021, we don't get a definitive answer. But it feels like the team could be sharper in general. I don't know if that's just by virtue of it being a midfield team, but have you gotten that sense that, okay, it's very easy to say one second, the pit stop, that it all came down to that, but there was an opportunity lost for them here today because they're just lacking a little bit. Yeah, it's a team that is growing really quickly after all the straw money uh, arrived. But at the same time, uh, as it's happening with all the teams on the grid, they are losing a lot of people because of this crazy season. Mm -hmm restrictions, a long season, double-headers, triple-headers, nobody knows what's going to happen. A lot of teams are just losing people. So we are seeing throughout the the grid much more mistakes Mm -hmm. because people are leaving, people are being substituted all the time, and that is happening a lot with Aston Martin. So it's going to get even worse in the second half of the season because people are just wanting to sit out and just not go to every race. So that's something we have to, to keep in mind. And we have some, some COVID, uh, close contacts, not being able to travel to the races, mm-hmm. not, not people infected in the paddock, but people not traveling because they, they were close contact with someone who was infected, uh, remembering that it's seven out of 10 teams, they come from the UK. Uh, and in the UK, a lot of people are infected by now mm-hmm. in the UK because of the Delta variant. So you get pinged a lot. That is a problem. I live there in, in London mm-hmm. and that's what's happening. You get pinged by the, the app of the government mm-hmm. because of being in close contact with someone and then you have to go in isolation. That has been a problem for every sector in, in the UK at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a problem for Formula One uh, by now. Uh, so for, for all the Formula One teams are actually not working with the, let's say, 100% capacity of just judging the race right, doing the pit stops right, because they are having to substitute a lot of people. Yeah, completely understandable if anyone thought that, you know, 23 races meant everything was back to normal. If anything, 23 races shouldn't be normal to begin with. But, you know, it just emphasizes the point, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and mid-season break, it's all right. Three weekends, you don't have to talk about it, think about it. Well, maybe not for the full three weekends, but it'll be all right. That was the third reason that Estevan Ocon was able to win this race, was uh, well, Aston Martin didn't have a great pit stop. But the fourth reason, we have mentioned him, of course, Fernando Alonso, but not just because he was in that undercut window specifically. Of course, because the almost 15, 10 or 15 laps of him racing with the recovering Lewis Hamilton. Arguably the highlight of this Grand Prix was watching these two champions, world champions, former teammates. In fact, they had a flashpoint here in Hungary as well, who could forget, uh, going wheel to wheel, uh, you know, lap after lap pretty much, absolutely on the limit. Enough that, yeah, and not crashing. It's incredible you can race so close without crashing, isn't it? It's good to remember that from time to time. Who'd have thought? Uh, This was absolutely pivotal to ensuring that Hamilton couldn't have a an opportunity to pass Ocon, wasn't it? Because it was phenomenal that, you know, maybe the only part of this race we really got to see how capable that Mercedes car was, was this final stint on the medium tyre, because Mercedes switched to two stops, running in clear air and then having the fastest tyre at the end of the race. Yeah, that's... Uh a little bit like they did in, in 2019 with Verstappen, wasn't it? That 
every time that Lewis was stuck in traffic. At that time, it was only once. <laughs> this, this race was more than once. But every time he was stuck at traffic, okay, we call him to the pits. We leave him racing in, in free air. And then he overtakes people. That's what they did in the beginning. So he could overtake Verstappen and Ricardo. That was pivotal for his race because he wouldn't have been able to, to overtake these cars probably. And then <clears throat> when he was stuck behind signs, They did the same, put him all on clean air. And it's the same strategy, the same strategy that won the Hungarian um, Grand Prix for them in 2019. So they, they knew what to do. And in the Hungarian ring, what they say is that you need a two-second advantage to pass. It, that is a lot, and that explains the Latifi train. That explains a lot of things we've seen. That uh, explains Vettel overtaking uh, Ocon and uh, uh, even the stopping fighting with Mick Schumacher because yeah. if we are to believe in something that comes out of Christian Horner's mouth <laughs> he said the, um, the loss of downforce that Verstappen had with that crash because the barge boards were destroyed the floor was destroyed he had as much downforce as Mick Schumacher had in that race <laughs> that's, that's what he said so that's why we're seeing a few drivers being locked in certain positions because you need quite a big advantage. Knowing that, Mercedes, after having made a terrible mistake in the end, they made the right strategy. Mm -hmm. Make him stop more and make him race in the, in the free air. And that worked until they got to, to Fernando. Fernando was as wide as he was with, uh, with Michael and San Marino in 2005. 2005. <laughs> Let me highlight that. Yeah, and this is the first race mm -hmm. that Fernando really raced for his team in mm -hmm. a way that nobody has ever seen before, <laughs> isn't it? Maybe he learned at WEC. Yeah, maybe. Yes, absolutely. Maybe it's about turning 40. You know, he turned 40 this weekend... Something changes. Yeah, life, life begins. Yeah, life begins at 40. Imagine if he's better than ever at 40. An incredible thing to imagine. In the end, it meant that Lewis Hamilton finished. He finished on the podium on the road, about two and a half seconds behind the lead and less than a second behind Vettel. Of course, Vettel has been disqualified. They're appealing. But as with some things that Aston Martin say, it's hard to know if how legitimate that appeal is going to be. But at the, you know, he eventually finished second, let's say. Third on the road, second the order. But I do want to finish uh, with by talking about the man who, well, finished fourth on the road, third. It's confusing, isn't it? Third in the order, Carlos Sainz. That's what I'm talking about, Carlos Sainz. Maybe when, when people listen to this, he would have finished 10th. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what's coming. You never know how late the investigation can come. Uh, he was among those drivers, as you said earlier on, who was in the safe zone, ironically, by being further back, managed to avoid most of the carnage of the first lap, unlike his teammate Charles Leclerc. Uh, what I thought was really interesting, though, was that, and we often say this when we have a wet race, isn't it, that it's up to the driver to kind of make some of the calls because they've got the feeling. The race ultimately wasn't wet, but even in the dry, he was making those kinds of decisions. He essentially rejected a Ferrari strategy call to try and undercut Tsunoda, Uh, ahead of him and Latifi as well. And I, I think there are two ways to cut this, isn't it? It's that we had, I guess, a little bit of an unknown situation in terms of how the tyres were working because the track had just been wet, had been a little bit green, that kind of thing. But on the other hand, and tell me if this is unfair, 
Ferrari have a modern history of making just unnecessarily bad strategy calls. Is this Carlos Sainz learning that now in his first season at Ferrari? Well, he's very good friends with Fernando. I think <laughs> Fernando found out in 2010 that Ferrari really cannot trust them. And in 2010 in Abu Dhabi, he was saying, no, we have to stay out. We have to stay out. But he ended up coming in and we all know what happened. So... If Carlos is learning something with his master, then that is a very important lesson. But Carlos is a very intelligent driver. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a bit like Fernando in a way. He really knows how to read a race. And Ferrari, they need to use that to their advantage. They always have to listen to, to Carlos Sainz. He's very, very good at, at reading, understanding a race. And that was the, the right call. Uh, interesting enough, I think if he wasn't stuck behind um, Latifi and Tsunoda in the beginning of the race. I think this was the, his race to win. We often see him uh, over the season being able to take the, the tire a little bit further in the race. It's always the guy who is able to do that. And this strategy could have worked uh, in this Hungarian, Hungarian Grand Prix. An interesting thing he said just after the race, and he was... Um, always uh, he, in the end he was preserving some fuel as well so a lot of people were really light on fuel that was very <laughs> weird we all know that the teams they try to put less fuel than they need mm-hmm. before the start of the race and then they make the drivers manage it but maybe the pace of the race was completely different something was completely different because uh, even George Russell stopped just after the the checkered flag and we had some cars struggling in the end uh, so that's a, it's a interesting another interesting point of this yeah. this race yes it was interesting i do wonder maybe in the event of a wet race they expected safety cars rather than red flags but uh who's to say sometimes at the end of the season you've had 11 races you just make mistakes. Now, support for the Strategy Report is powered by Heeltread, socks inspired by iconic cars. You can go to heeltread.com and use the code word STRATEGY for a 10% discount. But Julianne, just for appearing on the show, you get a pair of socks for free. All you have to do is tell me what you've chosen and why. Well, it was very hard to choose a pair of socks here. The shop is really, really cool. I have to say, when I said yes to this show, I didn't know I was going to get a pair of socks, but I've chosen the 99T, the classic Lotus, young Ayrton Senna racing with that Lotus camel, very classic, yellow, stylish, what else can you hope for? A very good choice, can't argue with that. And if you want your own pair of Heeltread Motorsport socks, you can go to heeltread.com, use the code word STRATEGY and get yourself a 10% discount. Really interesting race to conclude this first half of the season. Uh, the championship picture is almost back at zero. Incredible to think after the Austrian rounds we had, for example, that Lewis Hamilton could turn the picture around so dramatically with a little help from Valtteri Bottas, I think it's fair to say. Accidental help from Valtteri Bottas anyway. Uh, I I can't wait to see how this championship's going to unfold, Julianne. It was a real pleasure to talk to you about this Grand Prix. My pleasure. Now I'm going to go out, enjoy the sun. <laughs> no, I have to fly back home. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for having me. The pleasure. The last month of the championship has been a real wild ride. 
What looked like the beginning of a Verstappen walkover less than a month ago has become a 42-point turnaround in Hamilton's favour. He leads by 8 and Mercedes by 12 with up to 12 rounds remaining. And it definitely feels like momentum is creeping back towards the reigning champions. Thanks very much to Julian Cerasoli for joining me. The Strategy Report is supported by Heeltread, socks inspired by iconic cars. Go to heeltread.com and use the code word STRATEGY for a 10% discount. Make sure you never miss an episode of the F1 Strategy Report by subscribing with Google, Apple, Spotify or your favourite podcast app. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato. What a season we've had so far. I'll catch you again in a couple of weeks for a preview of the Belgian Grand Prix, and I can't wait to see what happens next.